بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم صلى الله عليك يا رسول الله وعلى أهل بيتك المظلومين صلى الله عليك يا أبا عبد الله يا رحمة الله الواسعة ويا باب نجاة الأمة ما خاب من تمسك بكم أمنا والله من لجأ إليكم يا ليتنا كنا معكم سيدي فنفوز فوزا عظيما بر محمد وآل محمد صلوات صلوات الله وسلامه عليه بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا أن هدانا الله وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا وعظيمنا وحبيب قلوبنا النبي المؤيد والرسول المسدد والمصطفى الأمجد والمحمود الأحمد حبيب إله العالمين أبي القاسم محمد صلوات الله وسلامه عليه وعلى أهل بيته الطيبين الطاهرين سفن النجاة الأعلام من ركب سفينتهم نجا ومن تخلف عنها هلك وغرق ثم أما بعد Respected sisters, brothers, elders, scholars, assalamu alaikum jami'an wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. If you recall two nights ago, I was speaking about how to be a Husseini-like and how the followers of Imam Hussein should have a particular mission. You cannot just live haphazardly in this life. You need to have an objective. You need to have a plan. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose you as a median nation as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala stated in the Quran and said, and I also quoted that verse before, وَكَذَلِكَ جَعَلْنَاكُمْ أُمَّةً وَسَطًا لِتَكُونُوا شُهَدَاءَ عَلَى النَّاسِ وَيَكُونَ الرَّسُولُ عَلَيْكُمْ شَهِيدًا We have made you a median nation so that you can become witnesses over other people, other nations. And then the one who will witness whether you carried out that mission or you carried out that duty or you carried out that religion or not, it is none other than Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. As the ayah says, وَيَكُونُ الرَّسُولُ عَلَيْكُمْ شَهِيدًا And the Prophet will be the one who will witness in this ayah, the context means either for you or against you. For you, if we fulfill the message. Against us, if, he, if we fail in our attempt to carry out that particular message. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran in another verse, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, وَمَا كُنَّا مُعَذِّبِينَ حَتَّى نَبْعَثَ رَسُولًا We cannot cause any nation or people to torment unless we send unto them a messenger. Here in Arabic, Rasula. For those who understand Arabic and understand the grammar of Arabic, the word Rasula came in this context as generic. It's not specific. In Arabic, they call it Nakira. Nakira means open. It's, it's, it's not limited. It's not restricted in that uh, sense. Meaning, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this ayah 
is not referring to the Prophet ﷺ per se. So he's not saying we will not cause any nation to torment because we sent the Prophet to them. Why? Because it does not have al-lut-tarif, which means it does not have the alif and the lam. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not say, وَمَا كُنَّا مُعَذِّبِينَ حَتَّى نَبْعَثَ الرَّسُولَ He said the Rasula without alif and lam. That makes it generic, open. What does this mean then? It means that since the Prophet ﷺ came and gave us the mission and gave us the message, now each and every one of us becomes that messenger to carry forward that message to the rest of the world. If we fail in our duty, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, then it is not possible for me to put non-Muslims and non-believers in hellfire because it goes against the justice of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. See, this is very important because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is adil, is just. It is not part of his attributes that he would put people in hellfire without a reason. There has to be a solid reason. So for example, we know that there are tribes until now that live in the Amazon, for example, in the middle of some of the jungles in Africa. These people, you come and tell them, for example, if they ever, ever heard of the name Muhammad, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. They have the, the no idea, the slightest idea who this Muhammad is. They've never heard of him. They've never seen his followers. They never identified his teaching. Nothing has ever reached them. How is it possible then that on the day of judgment or in the grave, when the malaika come to them and he says, who is your God? Who is my God? I don't know. I lived in the jungle. I don't even know. Who's your prophet? Allahu Akbar. No answer. Why? Because the message has not reached them. The message has not reached. So it is our duty to carry out that message. At least not to the people in Amazon. Right? At least to ourselves. Right? At least. And on that note, I must say, I must say. And I'm not, it's not part of my uh, character or, or my, yani, the way I, I deal with people. Just to simply rub shoulders with them for no reason. Okay? I don't just rub shoulders for no reason. But I have to admit and acknowledge that I've seen some characteristics within your children that are really, really uplifting. And I commend the parents of these young children that we have in this and the youth of this particular center, the way they deal with the elders, the respect they show them. And in return, the respect the elders show our youth. For example, I was told that if not all of your Qaris, but most of your Qaris either were born here or they were raised here. Ajeeb. You think the person who's sitting reciting Quran is Abdul Basit or this Mullah Kabir, what's his name, Mullah? Haidari, huh? you think it's one of them who learned in certain institutes or who have traveled abroad to learn the art of reciting Quran. That shows that there is that inner cemented 
idea and, and, and hope in the hearts and minds of our elders and our parents to produce a generation that will always be attached to its faith and proud of its faith. And that is something that has to be acknowledged and given credit to because credit, give credit when credit is due. You have to give credit to these things because that is uplifting. That is a positive uh, 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 thing or character about the community at large. In any case, if you remember, I said that to be a true follower of our beloved Imam, alayhi, who also already delivered the message. And had it not been for Imam Hussein, trust me, only Allah knows what sort of Islam we would have today. Only Allah knows. Right? Only Allah knows. We probably pray Maghrib 13 rak'at, Zuhr uh, 15 rak'at, Fajr 1 rak'at. God knows. God. Isn't it a fact that one of the people or governors of Bani Umayyah one day came and he prayed Fajr 4 rak'at because he was drunk, drunk, huh? leading the Muslims when he is drunk. And you know, unfortunately, we have some fatawa. You know what fatawa is? Edict, religious edict that were concocted, they were made up, they were fabricated by the media machinery of Bani Umayyah and Bani Abbas. That these ahadith are actually attributed back to the Prophet in order to silence the public, you and me. How? They relate as a hadith on the authority of the Prophet that you should obey the one in charge of you. They call him Waliyul Amr. Waliyul Amr. Yani the one who is endowed with your political affairs. You should obey him. Even if you see him fornicating. Ajeeb. Rasulullah would say something like this. Then where is, where is the mission of Imam Hussein that when you see someone who is fasik, fasid, corrupt, that you should go and tell him to his face that you are corrupt. And, and, and oppose every single oppression that takes place in the world, right? Within our own capabilities, in as much as we are able to confront such oppression. You attribute, you know why you attribute this to the prophet? So the public would be silenced. No matter what this leader does, because the prophet said you have to obey, then you obey, you don't go against him. In order to say what? Why did they fabricate this ahadith? You know why? Because people have said it, even in today's world. They said, Yazid was a legitimate leader, and Hussein went against the legitimate leader of his time. That's why they fabricated such hadith, so that they could legitimize the rule of Yazid and the rule of any leader today in the Muslim world that does not make sure that Islam is a way of life or fights against Islam as a way of life, you know, so you can be silenced. Anyway, we will not be silenced because we learned from Hussein, salawat alayhi right? That his mission and what he died for is basically to establish the true religion that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam came with. So we must all have a mission. And I said two days ago, and I read to you what this mission is. What is the mission statement, let's say? Okay? A mission statement that should be our compass towards establishing 
our objectives in life. So what is that mission statement? And I read it last time. It's to promote better understanding about practical Islam, not theoretical Islam. Because I can sit here from now until tomorrow explaining how Islam is. Will you see the beauty of Islam if you don't see it in my characteristics? Would you? Would you taste the beauty of Islam unless you see it in action? For example, in Lebanon, in South Lebanon, there is a particular apple, apple that grows in South Lebanon that cannot be grown anywhere else in the world. It's a special kind of apple. If I was to bring one of these apples and spend two hours explaining all the characteristics of that apple and how good it tastes and all the nutritionists uh, the nutrition qualities of that apple, then I'll pack that apple and leave home. What have you learned from that apple? What have you tasted or acknowledged from that apple other than theory? I could have not wasted your time, brought that apple, sliced it into 16 slices, and gave each of you a bite. Which, which would have been more practical and more worthy to understand the quality of that apple. Eating it, right? Eating it. Seeing it in action, you know? Taking a bite of it and knowing that it is something exactly what I'm trying to say, right? And that's exactly what our Imam lived by. No use under any circumstances that I should lecture about Islam for three hours and then the minute I leave the mosque, my actions are completely different to what I'm preaching, right? Then I am socially a hypocrite, right? I'm a social hypocrite, huh? Not uh, aqidah hypocrite, but at least social hypocrite, right? That I'm trying to pretend to be something or portray a particular image about my faith, but my action speaks to the contrary of that. There is an interesting story in that regard. How to prove someone that is really something that he believes in. And he's not just something that talks about something, writes about something, but when it comes to action, he doesn't do any of it. There is a writer, and again, I ask my sisters, my brothers, my elders, my respected elders, please download this book and read it. Because to me, I think this book is a compass, is a compass to refine myself, is a compass to know how I can overcome the legions of evil with the legions of good. You know, inside us, there is always a constant battle between right and wrong, evil and good. How can I make the legions, yani the army of good, overcome the army of bad? Read that book. It's called Jami'u Sa'adat, Collector of Felicities. Write it down. And it's for free. It's available on alislam.org. You know? And al-Islam is al-islam. Don't write al-Islam without a hyphen because then you will go to God knows what websites. Okay? It has to be hyphenated. al-islam.org. Download it. The writer of this book his name is what? His name, Muhammad Mahdi Al-Naraqi. Muhammad Mahdi Al-Naraqi. One of the greatest of scholars of his time. 
contemporary to Muhammad Mahdi al-Naraqi is a marja in Najaf. Muhammad Mahdi al-Naraqi, by the way, was in Qom. Was in Qom. Contemporary to him in Najaf was a marja by the name, again, of Muhammad Mahdi Bahrul Ulum. Okay? The name of the marja is Muhammad Mahdi Bahrul Ulum. The name of the writer is Muhammad Mahdi al-Naraqi. Ahsan. That man, when he wrote his book, and by the way, his book is predominantly about how you can refine your ethics. How you can refine your akhlaq. So he travels all the way from Qom to Najaf, to his marja. And he goes to him. He comes into the gathering of Muhammad Mahdi, Bahrul Ulum. He's sitting there with all the mushtahids and other maraja of taqlid. And, because he was the most prominent of them at that time. He goes to his, Salamun alaykum Mawlana, you are my marja, I abide by your edicts. I wrote a book on ethics. Can you review it and maybe make a comment on it? So, <laughs> Sayyid Muhammad Mahdi Bahrul Ulum takes the book, goes like this. Takes the book and throw it in his face. He throws the book in his face. He said, what is this nonsense? What is this nonsense? And you know, we're talking about 200 years ago. The, the bindings was not as good as now, right? So all the papers went all over the place. <laughs> they were on the floor. So this poor guy started collecting all his papers and look what he did. Out of respect to his marja. He didn't turn his back. He didn't turn back and left. No, he stood like this and he said, Ma'ziratan Mawlana. And he went back like this. Just like when you do your ziyarah to that imam, right? You don't give your back to the imam, right? Out of respect. He said to himself, maybe, maybe my marja or my teacher saw something that wasn't right. So he rewrote the book. Like he added something, made it different, presentation-wise. Again, he traveled to come the second, uh, Najaf the second time. Went into the same gathering, offered the same book. The Sayyid, Muhammad Mahdi, Bahrul Ulum, took the book and threw it in his face again. He said to him, I told you, this is useless. Ajeeb, ajeeb, ajeeb. Third time. Goes back to Qom, rewrites the book again. Huh? And adds, subtracts, refines, goes back again. When he goes this time, look what happens. That marja, that marja, Muhammad Mahdi Bahrul Ulum gets up and runs to the door. And he said, indeed, the one who is the collector of felicities has come to you in person. He's talking about now who? Muhammad Mahdi Al-Naraqi. He called him Jamu Al-Sa'adat. Not his book. He called him in person. You are the collector of felicities. So Muhammad Mahdi Al-Naraqi said, Mawlana, what changed? What changed? He said, when I threw the book twice in your face, I wanted to know whether you practice what you write or not. I wanted to know, are you just writing for the sake of writing? Or do you really practice what you write? And I found you, someone not only practices what he writes, you are an embodiment of akhlaq. 
you are in fact someone that represents akhlaq in person because someone else would either have fought with me swore at me got angry with me left with his back to me and never returned to me but you are indeed the collector of felicities you are indeed the collector of akhlaq this is what we need to present to our communities right We need to learn the art of restraining our anger sometimes, right? We need to restrain it. Something could happen anytime, a misunderstanding. I should not, due to a misunderstanding, just break the whole community and the whole program. You know, no, no. I should hold it in my heart, right? And then when the opportunity avails itself, we can talk like brothers. At the end of the day, are we enemies or are we brothers? We are one community, right? No matter what the differences are, we should sit and talk. Imam Al-Kadhim, was called Al-Kadhim because of what? Because he restrained his anger, right? He never put his anger out there against people, even if he was right. Even if he was right. He restrained his anger in order to be a role model to his community that everything can be fixed with a dialogue. And do not have doubts about one another. Imam al-Sadiq or Imam al-Baqar has a hadith. He says, One of the worst statements and words is to doubt someone wrongly. It's the worst it's the epitome of lies to doubt someone without verify, verifying whether your doubts are true or not. And what did the Quran say? Some of your doubt is what? Is evil. Evil. Because it's not based on any evidence. Right? It's not based on evidence. Imam Ali, salawatullahi wa salamu amir al-mu'mineen, sallu ala muhammadin wa ali muhammad. He says in one of his statements, solicit. Iltamis Solicit on behalf of your brother or sister an excuse. Up to 70 times. Up to 70 times. Yani, for example, I called my, my brother. He said, I'm going to come and see you at 6. 7 o'clock happened, he didn't show. Uh, this guy is unreliable. Habibi, wait. It's the first excuse you failed. From the first excuse, you failed. Imam Ali said, wait before you pass judgment. Maybe something happened at, happened at home. Maybe he broke down on the way. Maybe he broke down and forgot his phone so he couldn't call you. Because now the excuse, oh, but there are mobile phones everywhere. Why didn't he call? Well, maybe he left his phone at home. Right? Anything could happen. Imam Ali said, solicit 70 different excuses before you accuse. Is that good enough? Or not good enough? Well, the hadith doesn't stop there. <laughs> the hadith doesn't stop there. The Imam then says, and if you could not find an excuse, then invent one. Invent one. Allahu Akbar. To that extent, the sanctity of a mu'min is important 
so that you do not character assassinate him. And how many a times we have character assassinated one another on false pretense and false premise, right? Just because I don't like this person or he doesn't like me, I will go and what we spoke about the etiquettes of social media, I will go and post left, right, and center things that are absolutely not true. Well, you know these posts are going to multiply because if we say, say yeah, one bad deed equals one bad deed, but when that bad deed that you promoted on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram multiplies a trillion times because of reposting, then who is getting all this say at? You, because you posted it first. Right? There are etiquettes to using social platforms. And it's part of this mission that we should be aware of. Sallu ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. So firstly, to promote a better understanding about practical Islam as a way of life and to create awareness within the community about personal development and evolvement towards achieving the ideal human Husseini Muslim. Huh? That you become the personification, the mirror image of Imam Hussein And you know, on the question of mirror image, we have a beautiful saying by the Prophet وسلم, in which he says, a mu'min to a mu'min is a mirror image. Why? Why I am the mirror image of you and you are the mirror image of mine? Because I should see my fault and good in you. And you should see my good and fault in you without any cause for you to judge me or harm me with your word if you see something wrong from me. Because when you put your face in a mirror, you do not get offended, do you? Have you ever seen someone looking at himself in the mirror and he says, I'm going to break this damn mirror. Because she showed me myself in a way I don't like to see myself with. Has anyone ever thought this way? Or has anyone, or do we do the contrary? For example, I wake up in the morning, my hair is all over the place, right? Uh, my, the gel is gone, right? And the hairspray has expired. And I definitely look like some sort of a clown. I look at that mirror, I say, how dare you? Do I say that to the mirror? How dare you? I'm going to break you? Or do I salute the mirror? I say, thank you. You showed me my defects before I went out in public so I can fix myself. That's how a mu'min should be to a mu'min. See how beautiful the words of the prophets are? A mu'min to a mu'min is like a mirror image. We see each other in it so that we can fix ourselves. Not at the cost of harming or hurting one another. No, no. I want you to be better than me and, I, and you should have that intention that you want me to be better than you. And we can both excel towards a perfect example of what our Imams, salawatullah wa salamu alayhim ajma'in, wants us to be. Sallu ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. <laughs> to be able to put this mission sta statement in place, we must all come together and join hands in the delivery of this mission for ourselves first, to promote ourselves, to refine ourselves, to perfect ourselves, and then the people around us and the society and the community we live in. So the first quality or the first objective 
in the grand scheme of things, in trying as an attempt to put this you know, mission statement into action, number one thing we should do is to enhance the quality of life of individual Muslims and families. Muslims should not rely on hands out. Muslims should be in any community, the richest people, the most qualified people, the most, you know, earning people. No use telling me I am a Muslim, but I'm going to earn my living from the government. Unless you have compelling circumstances, but you are fit, you are young, you have the means to work, the qualification to go out and work, and there are available work for you. And then you sit at home and expect someone else to feed you. Do not tell me you are a lover of Hussein. Don't tell me that. Right? Yeah. Please, please, again, do not. I'm to, talking about thinking positive about your brothers. And I'm one of your brothers. I'm not pointing any fingers at anyone. I'm speaking in general. In general. As a community, as a society, how we can grow in that regard why i say this why you know what is your view of how our imams earned a living how how do you think our imams earned a living yes absolutely absolutely they actually worked worked they went out chopped wood imam ali used to go to the tip of mountains in medina chop wood, bring it down to the streets of Medina or to the markets of Medina and sell it. One day Rasulullah is coming back from a battle. He finds a man hiding behind a palm tree and trying to look at the Prophet. So the Prophet sees him. He says, why are you hiding behind the tree? He said, Ya Rasulullah, you are the most beloved human being to my heart. But I saw you walking among your great companions. Who am I? I'm just a farmer. How can I come and shake your hands? Who am I to be among those giants? So Rasulullah stretched his hand out. He said, then put your hand in my hand. I'm coming now to greet you. Look at the humbleness of Rasulullah. So he puts his hand in the hand of Rasulullah. And Rasulullah finds that his hand is very rough. Very rough. Not like our hand, Nivea, I don't know what, 17, 18 different type of uh, body moisture, body, I don't know what, you know. You think it's the skin of a little baby, you know. So, you, you think a man, 35-year-old, his hand has never touched anything. Anything. Anyway, not even his backyard. So he said, show me your hand. So he flips his hand, and his hand is full of blisters. You know those blisters, big blisters. He said, what is the cause of these blisters? He said, Ya Rasulullah, I leave after Salatul Fajr to feed my family from halal earning. And I plow the earth. Yani I'm a farmer. I'm a farmer. So I hold this axe day from the morning till night. So obviously it's going to cause blisters. What do you think the Prophet did? He took his hand and kissed it. Bi abi anta wa ummi, Ya Rasulullah. May my parents and myself and everything I earn be your sacrifice. Kissing the hand of a farmer. And listen to what he said. This is a hand that makes Allah and his prophet proud. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. This is a hand that earns, is worthy of recognition. Right? We should be the best at what we do. 
And our children should recognize the fact that their parents toil day and night for them, for their safety, for their comfort, for, so that if they want something, they will bring it to them from a halal source. They should acknowledge that and go to their feet and kiss their feet. You know, if you really want Jannah, where would you find Jannah? Yalla, where do you find Jannah? Ah, at the feet of your mom. So go to your mom today and say, Mom, lift your feet. Put it in my lap because I feel like sitting in Jannah. Right? If you have a mother, Learn how to cherish her. Learn how to honor her. Because if she goes, you will not have that blessing and barakah in the house anymore. If you have a father, learn how to respect him. Because Imam Sayyid al-Abideen says, everything you have is from your father. For he is the origin and you are the branch. Read the the Charter of Rights, Risalatul Hukuk, the rights of parents, right of father, right of mother. Read what he says about the right of mother. Of course, when I'm talking about mothers, I'm talking about the, the sane ones, right? The, 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 the mothers that, the, the, that are normal, right? Because unfortunately, we have some weird mothers in our community, not here in general, you know? Mothers who just have issues. They have issues with themselves let alone with the rest of the world. When Allah is speaking about mothers and fathers and the right of mothers and fathers, Allah and the Imams are speaking about normal, normal parents, right? Normal parents, which most 99% are normal parents, right? He says, your mother, listen to his words. He said, your mother carried you in a place that no one would carry you. Nine months, nine months in her stomach. She carried you in a place where no one would carry you. Even if you come to someone and says, he's a million dollars, carry me on your stomach 24 hours for nine months. Would anyone do it for a million dollars? Carry me now on your stomach, not inside, on your stomach. When you sit, when you walk, when you eat, when you sleep, when you wash, when you... 24-7 for nine months and I'll give you a million dollars just as an exercise to see whether you can do it or not. No one will do it. That's why Imam says, she carried you in a place where no one would do it. Right? And then, she stayed up so that you can sleep. She made herself hungry so you can eat. This is what the mother does, the father, the parents. We need to recognize them and honor them. And in return, in return, our parents should also show that respect and love to their children. You know, it can't be one way. It can't be, uh, I'm your parents. If you don't obey me, I'm going to fire those stealth missile, you know, of, you know, I'm going to be unhappy with you. You know, ghadab. What do you call ghadab in your language? What is it? Huh? Fahad? Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. You are disobedient. And then I will send my ghadab on you. You know, I will send my wrath on you. Because parents also think 
that every time they want to control the children or subdue the children, whether it's right or wrong, they can use and abuse this rocket. Hmm? Wallah, if you don't do what I'm telling you, I'm going to send ghadab to Allah straight away. You think Allah is listening to you? Especially if you are unjust. If you are unjust, how Allah is going to listen to you? How? Allah is not going to listen to you just because you're a parent. Allah will listen to you if you're a parent and if you are what? Just. Right. Exactly. Sallu ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. So, we need to apply this, to enhance the quality of life of individual Muslims and their family by promoting different programs within the community to empower the community, to empower the community. If we can't, and we don't know how, we should look around us and see different communities. How do they operate? Have they empowered their community? Have they allocated a special fund, for example, for their for, for, uh, communities to, to uh, l uh, benefit from if someone falls short or if someone goes under debt or someone has the need or someone instead of for example please read me in context read me in context please instead of going 30 ziyaras in my life at an average average seven thousand dollars right or wrong right average right ten thousand ten thousand thirty times ten how many how many? 300,000, right? 300,000 just so that I can be selfish to be with my Imam. Right? 300,000 I spend on 30 ziyaras so I can be selfish with my Imam so I can be saved when I can actually save 30 families with this money and make sure that by saving 30 families as Muslims, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say to me, you're not more generous than me. If you save 30 families, I will save 30 members of your family. And you will be guaranteed Jannah because you used your assets in the right way I expected you to. Right? I'm not, I'm not, by the way, I'm not against ziyara. I'm not. Okay? I love it. I feel that sense of tranquility and comfort. Yeah, but sometimes there are priorities. And the ziyarah of Imam Hussein, by the way, will never finish. They tried in the past. They cut people's hand as a tax to go to ziyarah, chopped their legs, you know, took their money, taxes. So people won't come to Hussein and people still go to Hussein. Salawatullah wa salamu alayhi. But I'm speaking in general terms. <clears throat> Number two, and this is of paramount importance. If we want to keep our youth among the sisters and the brothers within the faith, within the faith, and that is to achieve inner peace by having a better understanding about Islamic laws. Because we don't tell our people why Islam has prescribed certain laws in a certain way. Why hijab? But because, because what bro? Because what? Because Rasulullah said, once you reach year nine, you have to put hijab on. But why? Why? Sit with your daughter and tell her why I am wearing the hijab. Let her have that ability to sit 
and understand why she needs to observe hijab. And why is she becoming mukallaf at nine when the boy is mukallaf at 14, right? At face value, that doesn't make sense, right? It's not just, right? It's not just. But if you sit and explain to them why, then you will understand. You will understand the value of that hijab when you go to Karbala, for example, right? When you go to Karbala, you will understand the value of hijab. You will understand how Sayyidah Zainab fought with everything she had to keep the hijab intact. Hijab tells us it is your modesty, your integrity, it's your protection. It is something to say to the world, I am here not to be messed with. I am here so that you can deal with me on the basis of my brain, not on the basis of how I look. Right? Deal with me here. I'm as intellectual as you are. Don't mess with my brain. Right? Don't mess with my brain so you can dress me the way you want. Don't mess with my brain so you can reveal my body the way you want. Don't mess with my brain so you can dress me in a particular fashionable way so you can enjoy what you are not supposed to see. Right? And our sisters need to understand and they know, alhamdulillah rabbil alameen, that 90% of fashion designers are men or women. So when they are undressing you, they are undressing you because they like you, because they want what is best for you, or it is for their own perverted ways. Right? It is for on their perverted ways to look at things that are not allowed to be looked at. This is your protection. One of the girls in the camp of Imam Hussein, salawatullah wa salamu alayhi, runs and then she runs from the tent. Someone has snatched her hijab. She goes and stands under the horse of Hamid ibn Muslim, the riwayah says. So Hamid ibn Muslim says to her, Oh girl, I am not with you or against you. Why are you standing under my horse? Is it because it's a hot day and you're running for shade? She said, Ya Shaykh, no. My hijab was snatched from me and I'm hiding myself so strangers would not see me. This is how we raise our children. This is Hussein. This is the school of Abi Abdullah. Salawatullah wa salamu alayhi. What can we say about Imam Hussein or the woman of Imam Hussein or the household of Imam Hussein salawatullah wa salamu Imam Hussein when he goes into the battlefield, he stands there in front of Umar ibn Sa'd. And for the last moment, he says to him, reconsider your position. Because if you kill me, it's on account of you killing me, you will end up in hellfire. You know what Umar ibn Sa'd says to Imam Hussein? He said, my dream that I become the governor of Rai. You know what Rai is? Rai is Tahran today. Rai in those days was Tahran. Yazid promised him or Ubaidullah ibn Ziyad promised Umar ibn Sa'd. If you kill Yaz uh, uh, Imam Hussein, you will be the governor of Tahran, Rai. Imam Hussein says to him, by God who sent my grandfather with the truth you will never see it and you will be killed on your bed. And that's exactly what happened. Umar ibn Sa'd was killed on his bed before he was appointed as the governor of Rai. Follow the truth. It will lead you to the best, to the best of results, to the best 
of actions. Imam Hussein gave one and all for what? For what? Look, look, look at Abu Fadl al-Abbas. Allah, this man is amazing. Goes into the waterway. Salawatullah wa salamu alayka ya Abu Fadl al-Abbas. Goes into the water well. He takes a handful of water in his hand. He looks at it and he says, I'm thirsty. But then he remembers the thirst of his brother Imam Hussein. He throws the water and he says, Ya nafsu huni wa min ba'dil Husseini la kunti antaku. He said, Oh soul, remain patience. And you should not consider life as something or as an option if Hussein is not in it. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Imagine us living life without Hussein in it. Meaning his teachings, right? Meaning his, his, his way. Sayyidah Zainab, salamullah alayha, on the last wada, on the last farewell, she goes to Imam Hussein and she says to him, O oh Abu Abdullah, descend from your horse for a moment. He says, O oh Zainab, why? She said, come into the tent. He descends, or he dismounts his horse, salamullah alayh, goes into the tent. She said, sit, he sits, she said, open your chest for me, O oh Hussein. He said, oh sister, what is happening? Is this the time for this emotion? She said, it is not about emotions, oh my brother Hussein. This is the wasiyah of our mother Fatima. He said, what has my mother told you? She said, oh Hussein, when your mother Fatima was breathing her last, she said, oh Zainab, I will not live to a day where my son Hussein will be facing 30,000 of the enemies of Kufa. On that day, you shall be my representative on the plains of Karbala. When your Hussein goes towards the last farewell, call him back and take a breath and a kiss of his chest and say to him, Oh Hussein, this is from your mother Fatima. Salawatullah wa salamuhu alayha. Because she won't be able to be there in Karbala for you. Zainab did that. Imam Hussein leaves the tent and goes. Then there is no sound of Imam Hussein. No shadow of Imam Hussein. There is no figure of Imam Hussein. Sayyidah Zainab says to Imam Zain al-Abideen, Oh, my nephew, when I was watching the battle, I would always say your, 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 your father, no matter how many enemies surrounded him, I would see at least part of his body on top of his horse, and now I can't see any of Hussein. He said, Oh, Amma, give me a help so I can stand up. She takes him to the door of the tent. He opens the door of the tent. He said, May Allah reward you, O oh aunt, for your patience over your brother. There is his head. It is placed on top of the lands. May Allah have mercy on those who cry out, Wa Imama, Wa Husayna, Inna Lillah, Wa Inna Ilayhi Raji'oon. وسيعلم الذين ظلموا 
أي منقلب ينقلبون ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم Five times quickly أمن يجيب بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم أمن أمن يجيب أمن يجيب المضطر إذا دعاه أمن Last time with the loudest of your voices أمن يجيب المضطر إذا دعاه بحق محمد وآل محمد وبحرمة الفاتحة مع الصلوات 